The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern in most families is always about money. Good morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we have a program that is going to just guide you through. We're going to ask some, answer some questions about the health care update, Shannon Dyson's with us to do that. And that means there's some changes, and you need to find out how many people have enrolled and what are the expectations and what does it look like in the future. Also in the second half of the program, it's all about investing. It's all about your 401K. It's all about what you do every day. More people are investing today than we've seen in the past. And I've got two guests, Scott Jordan and Rob Clement. We're going to talk about kind of our behavior and how we – Communicate. It's called basically behavior biases and communication when it comes to investing. And, you know, I hate to say this. I've seen people not do a very good job when they have to do the communicating when it comes to investing. So these guys are going to help us to understand that and help us to find out some ways or show us some ways that we can get around when we're talking about money and it's a problem. My wife happens to be listening because at our home, it's never a problem talking about money. Never. In my 49 years of being married to a lovely lady, never have we had an issue talking about money. Now, I know she's not on the phone listening yet, so I can say that. Now, later on, not a chance. But let's go first to the program. We've got Shannon Dyson. He's the vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. Welcome to the program, Shannon. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Well, you know, it's because I thought and I actually felt like that when we put this program together weeks ago that we'd be talking about literally all the idea that's going on with signing up and having your health insurance and all this problem about healthcare.gov and uninsured residents and what we could do and all those things. And then all of a sudden it had to be done by May the 15th. And I found out they have kicked the can down the road. It changes Wait, frequently. Well, I mean, it's like amazing. It's nothing new. It, al- it always changes. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. It always changes. I got it. I yeah, got it. They, uh, you know, the, the, the government uh, basically said that, hey, we have had a crazy year. And we've had people that have uh, lost their jobs, been laid off because of, of COVID. Uh, and so they wanted to have an extended period of time where people that did not have health insurance could get that health insurance. And so they said, we're going to have a period between February 15th and May 15th, and we're opening it up to anybody. Doesn't matter if you didn't have a qualifying event, um, you just forgot to sign up for coverage, you didn't want to sign up for coverage, you can sign up. And like you said, now that's been extended. And so now that date goes all the way to August the 15th. Much more sophisticated to say extended versus saying kick it down. Well, you know. Kick the can down. I got it. I got it. I understand that. People understand it. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, let me read you a statistic that the Wall Street Journal put out because this challenges what what you're saying, Shannon, and I'm not sure I understand it. It says households have entered 2021, beginning of 2021, with more cash than they've had in the past and the cleanest balance sheets they've had in a decade. 
That's that's finishing 2021. Here's what they have. $14.1 trillion combined in checking and savings account compared to $11.4 trillion in 2019. Wow. That's a big number. Now, that... That look at that at the debt free and you know you have no it's a percentage of taxable income that you've eliminated your debts and all that's gone and this comes from the Wall Street Journal just recently in a March 21st when they were writing they were talking about it for this decade since the 1990s lots of money yeah and Scott's going to talk about that later yeah. about where they're going to be putting it sure but you're telling us that the federal government said we're going to kick this can down the road we're going to move it to August the 15th can people that have lost their jobs are they able to do this? I mean, I know employers today that are begging people to come back to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So not only are they moving and, and kicking that to August the 15th. You're getting it, see, instead of extending, and I kicking, like it. Not only kicking the can <laughs> to like August it. the 15th, but they're also, they, they put a lot of money uh, into subsidies. And so now not only can people get coverage where they typically couldn't get coverage in the middle of the year, but now they can get coverage, and they're not going to pay as much for it as they would have last year. So there's a lot of stuff going on uh, that is brand new in that healthcare.gov in the market. So if you've lost your job, you can sign up. If you lost up. your job, you could, always, you could always go on and sign up at any time throughout the year. That's always been the rule. Um, but now what they're saying is it doesn't matter. If you lost your job in 2018... Uh, and you just forgot to get insurance coverage last year, you can now go into the marketplace and sign up. Uninsured? That it it doesn't matter. Uninsured. Uh, but now that we're talking about a specific location, so healthcare.gov. So this is not just any uh, health insurance plan that you, that you can find. We're talking about healthcare.gov and the plans that are offered on healthcare.gov. Uh, Okay, There's 36 now, states okay, that 36 where healthcare.gov is is the 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 way that people can get individual health insurance. So open enrollment, go to healthcare.gov. Go to healthcare.gov. If you don't have currently don't have insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And Tennessee obviously is in one of those uh, 36 states that offers that. What about the people who've already enrolled in a marketplace? I mean, where they got an insurance company, a marketplace plan. Can they switch coverage during this time? Yeah. See, another another perk to this uh, kicking the kicking the can down the road is that people that have had, have current coverage they can switch in the middle of the year. They can go back to healthcare.gov and say, you know what? Like when I picked this plan last year, I was in a different spot. I could afford a higher deductible, or I or I could I wanted a lower deductible, so I was paying more for it. Maybe in a different position now, and so you can cha- actually change your plan if you're on Cobra. If you uh, left your job or if you were laid off last year and you're still on COBRA, you can leave COBRA and go get an individual health plan. Typically, you've not been able to do that in the past unless your COBRA actually ended, the the 18-month window ended. So it's open for basically anyone who wants to get coverage. You can go to healthcare.gov and get coverage. All right, let me make sure I understand. If they enrolled and went on COBRA, they can drop the COBRA and go immediately right into a marketplace plan, yes. or, or well, no, help me understand. They can go from Cobra to a marketplace plan through healthcare.gov. Through healthcare.gov. Typically, what ha- when you elect Cobra, if you're laid off or you quit your job, you have an 18 month that you can continue your Cobra, and that's basically just continuing your employer coverage. Um, but that did not give you the opportunity to get individual health insurance if you wanted to. You still had to wait until the annual open enrollment period, which is at the end of every year. 
the way the rule now says, if you continued COBRA and you decide, I don't want this COBRA anymore, it's too expensive, I'd like to see what I can get on healthcare.gov, you can drop it and go to healthcare.gov and pick up a new plan. If you just tuned in, my guest is Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. He is our Medicare, you know, healthcare.gov expert, bottom line, and he always answers your questions. And of course, I'm going to be coming back in a few minutes with a, a question that a client has asked, someone has asked, one of our listeners has asked, and we would appreciate it. If you always, you know, you got a question, just simply go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, write your question out. We'll be glad to get the question on the air. But now, Shannon, when you say this, I mean, you're talking about open enrollment. Who would be that person? Would you say this open enrollment is successful at this point? Or, or I tell you what, let's take a break, come back with the question from the, the listener and that answer from that standpoint. I think it's... Um, is this working? I mean, this is, is this a positive thing or kicking it down the road? What do you think about that from that standpoint? I'm Jim Shoemaker. Hey, thanks for listening so far. It's got a great program lined up. Remember, we're going to talk about communication and investing. We're going to talk about what does it mean to understand the language that you're talking with your spouse or significant other. Bottom line is, it's all about how do you enjoy life when you're trying to communicate with somebody that doesn't communicate the way you do. Is that anybody listening like that? Or am I the only person that that's affecting? Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is Shannon Dyson. We're talking about Medicare supplement plans. We're talking about Medicare open enrollment. And uh, if you've got questions, you can always call Shannon at 757-5757. And it's worth your call. If you, I mean, it can be complicated as all get out. They've extended the open enrollment to August the 15th. Notice I said extended instead of kicking the can. You know, they said I needed to act a little bit more sophisticated and be a little more real. And you kicked the can made a lot of sense to me, bottom line. But extended to August the 15th. Now, I, before the break, we were talking about how this is becoming very effective, the fact that we have a lot of people enrolling. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But if you have questions for, you know, literally for Talk Money, all you have to do is send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get the questions on the air, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. The question is, this is a, someone in their 70s. They have the, they're budgeting, they're, they're retired, they're managing their investment portfolio, they're doing all that, they've got professional advice and all those things, they got it all together. Question came in and said, do you think I need to plan for much higher, much higher cost? And he underlined much higher, emphasized much higher, and he was saying 10 to 20% higher on his Medicare supplement. Now, Shannon, that's a question I think a lot of people ask. They are budgeting their cost for insurance, for health care, and his supplement plans going up year by year. What's your thoughts? Sure. Um, we don't know. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much for that answer. So, uh, they, they, we'll move on to the, our next. <laughs> that's a good answer. The, the <laughs> Medicare supplement market, um, when, you, when you get a Medicare supplement, you'll actually get a, a sheet that shows you from age 65 through age 90 
what you can, can expect your price to be at that age. When you buy the plan. When you buy the plan, they're going to show you that. So you'll say, okay, I'm 65. My price is $100 a month, as an example. When I'm 75, it's going to be $140 a month. What you cannot plan for is what the insurance carriers can do when they go to the state that you live in and say, hey, we need a rate increase over all of the plans. There's no way of knowing what that will look like. Um, what they cannot do is increase your plan specifically. So if you, you, you single personally. you out, uh, if you had a bad health year, they are not singling you out with an increase, but they can if their block of business is losing money or whatever they want to do, they can go to the state and say, hey, we need a 10% rate increase. If the state approves it, then that will be in force. And you can change plans, but... You can always change your Medicare supplement plan at any time of the year, but you have to answer health questions after the first time that you take out a supplement. So that, that is something to keep in mind. Okay, that's, that's very important. I think you've answered the question. Know what that sheet looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Would, would they need to say a 10 to 20, 15%, just plan a 10 to 15, 15%? I'd plan, you'd look at the increases that they give you on the rate sheet, and I would plan for an additional 10% additional more. 10%. Absolutely. And yeah. that's just simply saying, worst case scenario, worst case. this is what you're looking at. Yes, that's absolutely. good advice. That's good advice. Thanks, Shannon. All right, here's the question. How successful has open enrollment been so far? Well, for defining success in the amount of people that have actually enrolled, I would say it's been very successful. There's been 528,000 people wow. uh, in February and March, not including April's numbers, don't have April's numbers yet. Uh, so the first two months or month and a half into the program, 528,000 people have already enrolled. So that's people that did not have insurance before now have insurance from February uh, February and March. So that would say, is that ahead of schedule? Is that what more than was expected? I think it's more than what was expected, uh, especially when you take a look at numbers in, in previous years. And I think it all has to do with, you know, the all of the stimulus things that have been passed and people understanding and hearing more about, well, maybe there's some additional benefits to me signing up now. I haven't signed up in the past. Maybe I can afford it. I didn't think that I could, but maybe I can. Uh, and they're going on and checking that out. So, yeah, I think it's been, for, as far as getting people enrolled, it's been successful. So now that we're into April and now we've got it extended all the way to August, do you think this American Rescue Plan, the whole idea behind that, additional dollars, are we going to see more people? And yeah, what I, do you think the cost is going to be? I think we're going to see a lot more people uh, in, into the program, and I think we're going to see people switching plans as well. So I think from April through through August, uh, with the with the stimulus that has been passed and the money that has been pumped into the system, I think you're going to see a, th those numbers continue to increase. Now, this is the middle income, lower middle to lower and middle income people. The, what's that number look like? What is that actual number? They, they've increased that to 400 percent of the federal poverty line where you can actually qualify for subsidies. So as a single person, uh, that's $51,000 per year in income or lower. Uh, if you have a family of four, that's $109,000 a year in household income or lower. If you fit that category, you could uh, qualify for some tax credits towards your cost of your insurance. Now, I know we don't have a big problem with inflation. What's How many in the last, let's go back to when it started, the Obamacare plan. Yep. What was that number? The, the average premium uh, when we first started in, under the Affordable Care Act was $285 per month for okay. a single person. That was the premium number what a person would pay into the system. That number today is $525 per month. So from 2010 to 2021, if you're getting no tax credit or no subsidy, that price has increased from 285 to 521. 
big increase oh, in, in premiums. Yeah, that's a for good sure. point. Yeah. What about the subsidy? What's that look like? So the subsidies have <coughs> increased over time as well. And so the, the insurance company's pricing I- increased. Well, so did if I'm going on, you know, in 2010, if I made over $31,000 a year, I could not qualify for a subsidy. Today, I can make up to $51,000 a year and qualify for the subsidy. So subsidies are moving with the increase in premiums. And you're going to see, is that's part of the reason why you're seeing people moving into it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So how many, when you think of this increase, um, I think you told me something about a 62% yeah. increase or something there, like that. There, there's 62% of people that, are go, that have gone onto the marketplace in February and March. 62% of those folks are finding plans at zero premium. They're not paying anything out of their pocket. 73% of people are paying less than $50 a month based on their income and the tax subsidy that they can actually get. So those are, I think, when you see that, that's the reason why more and more people are going on. I think people went on last year and the year before. They just didn't sign up because they said, I can't afford that monthly premium. Can't afford when they're going on today and putting in that income and seeing what subsidy they're getting, they say, oh, I can afford this, so I'm going to go ahead and get this insurance. Well, as always, you answer a lot of questions. You give us the fact that the, we've extended the open enrollment now to August the 15th. And, guys, if you've got questions for Shannon, just call him at 901-757-5757. You've answered a question from one of our listeners. And thank you, Shannon. I appreciate what you do for us, man. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. You know, speaking of questions, go to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. But here's a question that came in. And I like the question because I'm going to address this to Scott Jordan. Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be here, Jim. You know, guys, this is uh, we just I just like the fact that you guys are so smart, and I get to just kick it down the road. That's it. That's all I'm doing. I'm the official kicker. Here's the question, and I'm going to let you. I'm going to lay it in your lap because. To me, what a question, because I think everybody's asking this question, everybody's thinking. Here's a listener that was bold enough to say, why are markets continuing to have record highs? It's a big question, and Scott Jordan, no question he can answer it. Can I use Shannon's answer? I don't know. I don't know. I love it. That's no, a, no, no, <laughs> oh, no. Hey, I, I know both of you've got answers. <laughs> As you said earlier, statistics, you make them up on the you, show. You can Why? do it. You can do it. But, no, I think there's good reasons for that, Jim. I, you know, in, even though when you look and, and you hear a lot of people talking about valuations or market values being at all-time highs and a little stretch, but there's a lot of positive going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I was reading uh, Brian Westbury the other day, uh, economist for First Trust. He expects GDP to grow by 6 to 7% this year and earnings of the S&P to grow by 27%. So earnings are kind of surprising to the upside and have recovered phenomenally from the downturn last year. We've seen jobless claims come down. Uh, jobless claims were 6 point, I mean, unemployment was 6.2% in February. That's down to 6% in March. Um, interest rates remain at historic lows. Now, that's important for the market because when you're, when you're looking at earnings or cash flows, you're discounting those at a lower rate uh, in the current interest rate environment. So that, that warrants some higher stock prices. Uh, but I think the big story behind the market is the consumer, Jim. You and I both know that the consumer makes up two-thirds of our GDP number. And uh, you mentioned earlier the consumer balance sheet being in better shape than it has been in decades. And, and boy, that's true. We've seen 
savings go up by almost $3 trillion over last year. So I think there's a lot of pent-up future spending ready to be done by the consumer, and I think that's driving a lot of optimism around the market. Well, those are good questions. I mean, good answers to that question for somebody who said, I don't know. So, (laughs) you know, as always, you do a great job with that. But I think the idea of the consumer, you're right. That's kind of the the fuel tank that's really pushing a lot that's going on right now. And I'm very sensitive to that because when you talk about $14.1 trillion in checking and savings, that's going to get spent. That is, you know, we're it, it, not going to leave yeah. it there long. We're going to spend it this summer or the next few months. The reality is that's just what's going to happen. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about behavioral biases. Before we go, I need to remind everybody that, of course, when we talk about investments, you know, anybody knows this. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments are going to fluctuate. You just have to keep that in mind. Listen, we've got more just jam-packed in this program. Communicating and investing. You do not want to walk away from us and you want to be with us because we're going to stay through the whole program talking about those questions that you have for us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, Scott Jordan, we are talking about Literally, we're answering questions, and, you know, we answered a question of the, the, the great question, why are the markets continuing to hover, I guess, a hover around, you know, this, this record high? And, and, Scott, you gave us some great answers. Earnings are great, doing well. The companies are, and things are moving along economically. The, you know, you talked about some predictions. Jobless claims look good. Interest rates still allowing mortgages to still be affordable to to most people that want that a lot of the consumer i mean just an enormous amount of energy being built them 14.1 trillion dollars in the consumer bank accounts today balance sheets look great and we actually didn't mention this but you know people are getting vaccinated and that's moving through this process that's a big key to especially specific parts of the service economy opening back up is those those vaccinations rolling out extremely well so far. I actually feel some sense of energy in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, the fact people are getting outside the summer, I think the summer is going to be exciting and busy, and that's all positive for the economy. And I, and I think what, uh, that's part of the reason why people need to understand we are seeing. Now, I don't think we need to always just jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, it's going to be a great year. The market's going to do well. But historical facts indicate to us we've had a phenomenal 12 months. And by and large, when you see that, it repeats or it comes through that process. So we just need to be sensitive to it. Now, I say that because everybody listening understands that we can get too energetic in the market. Does that make sense? I've seen it happen. (laughs) That was a nice way to put it. (laughs) You have actually seen it happen more than once. Yes. Now, I want to say 
what because I really see that that's called we see that called as a, an investor's behavior bias. And I want you to define that for our listening audience, and then I need you to help us understand it. Well, these these behavior biases, as we're talking about them, uh, and really we're strictly talking about behavioral biases focused around investor behavior or behavioral finance. And this this describes really kind of normative behavior that that presents itself. I mean, everybody has a different experience in life that kind of that they filter life through and view things through and and money and investing is no different. But as as researchers have looked into this, we've been able to uncover some common commonly seen behaviors and uh, commonly uh, seen behaviors around investment practices particular. And uh, these can cause, you know, pitfalls or, or, or faulty thinking around investments. So it's just important to to recognize these and be able to understand that we're all susceptible to these behavioral biases. Well, we've always talked about this, that, uh, you know, knowledge is always better than emotions. And right. um, we make better investors when we let our emotion. And sometimes that behavior bias that you're talking about is somewhat in, in, in an emotional driven thought. It, it very much can be, and it can be an impediment to investment success if you let it take over. What's the first one you want to talk about? Uh, loss aversion is the one we always kind of lead off with. That is uh, really the, the idea around that is that the pain of loss hurts more than the joy of gain. Uh, Daniel Kahneman did a lot of research around this, and it's written about a lot in his best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and he basically uncovered the fact that that the pain of loss, we feel that twice as much as we feel the joy of gain. So we tend what that leads to is we tend to be attracted by bad news about investing or, or bad news, you know, or, or that fear of loss that that can take over our emotions and cause us to make investment decisions that are not necessarily good for our long term based on that short term fear. You know, when you talk about that, I read something or actually read something that was said on CNBC in this just this past March, April the 9th. I quote, this is a quote, investors have put more money into stocks in the last five months than the previous 12 years combined, end of quote. That's amazing. That sounds phenomenal. That's I, <laughs> I'm not doubting it. I don't have any data to back I up any doubt, but either, it sounds but phenomenal. I mean, that tells me that that's the opposite of this behavior. By it's, it's kind of like they've got this emotional. It is in a way. Okay. But uh, you know, I've I've looked at that, and it is a little bit opposite. But when you think about this idea of fear of missing out, yeah. Now that loss becomes, hey, I see everybody else making something, and I'm losing out on this deal because I'm not in in the game. And you know, people tend to look at you know indexes like the S and P 500, see it going up, and go. Either my portfolio's not going up that much, or I'm not even in at all. I need to get in on this on this before I lose. So it is a little opposite, different. But when you think about it as a fear of missing out, you, it is kind of it's you're trying to you know the loss aversion is I'm not gaining. Yeah, that's a great so. point. Of course, the S and P 500 is an unmanaged index of the 500 large cap stocks, and investors cannot invest in that particular index. Now you say that when you when you mentioned what you said, I th- was thinking. But prior to this five months, mm-hmm. everybody was saying the market was going to die. 
Well, I mean, we had the pandemic, we had unrest in our cities, we had a presidential election, and if you were with this thing, one party's going to get it or one party's not. I mean, everybody, I mean, we got call after call after call after call of people saying, ah, you know, wringing of hands, you know, gnashing of teeth, all other things going on, and yet in the last five months, more people have invested in the stock market. And, you know, we all want to get returns without risk, right? I mean, I've never heard an investor that That's really called getting your cake risk. and eating it, too. Um, so when you start to hear news stories and there's change in the air and a lot of uncertainty, people start to – that's where that, that fear of that loss can cause you to make bad investment decisions. You know, if you had uh, gotten out of the market because you feared, you know, the change in, in power over the election or whatever the, the crisis du jour, the COVID-19, you would have missed out on the recent gains that, that you, you've gotten by staying put and staying invested and staying diversified. I like what you say. Of course, you know, always talk about diversification, always the fact that diversification doesn't guarantee against something, right. against the market loss, but it sure gives you the ability to understand that you're diversified over multiple things. It's not a guarantee, but right. it does help. Now, let me ask you this. If you talk about loss aversion, there's another, you mentioned this earlier, called anchoring. Yes, what in the world is the behavior bias anchoring? Well, b- anchoring is where you start to see things in relation to something known. It's, it's, let me give you an example because that's the best way to understand it. Um, you know, if I, were, if I were going to go buy a particular type of, of pickup truck, per se, and I, and I go out into the market and I find one that's, well, now, I guess $60,000. is. Can you even get one for that I don't anymore? Know. I don't know. You know, they keep going up. But I see one for 60000 so I kind of anchor my expectations to that. And now, all of a sudden, I'm looking around, I find one for $50,000. And I go, wow, that's cheap. That's a deal. Now, if I hadn't anchored to that sixty, I might. If I found the fifty thousand dollar truck first, I might have gone, "Wow, that's expensive." Yeah. But now, because I've anchored to that new new norm, I think, "Wow, this is underpriced." And I think you see that in the investing world when people look at the market and all of a sudden it's at an all time high. It hasn't been that high before, and they think, "Wow, the market's expensive." You know, it's it's, it's up there. Too high, and that. I shouldn't invest and in. They've it. anchored to a lower price that they've become used to seeing, and now it's higher, and they start thinking it's expensive. That's a that's a that's a real problem for a lot of people too, and that's, it, it that's can't what happens be to because us. you know we never suggest anybody put money in the market that they're going to need over the next couple of years. This is long term money, so it's not a matter of is the market expensive today. It's is it going to be higher ten years from now, and that's really kind of how you have to look at that when you're investing in the market. If you just tuned in, my guest is Scott Jordan. You can talk to Scott. Just simply give him a call at 757-5757. He's talking about investing behavior biases that create all kind of problems around when you're going into the market. And it creates that, I guess, fear. And we all live with it. And you wonder, why am I doing this? What? Why am I acting this way? Why am I thinking this way? He's walking through some ways to deal with that. He first talked about the whole idea of loss aversion. And now the idea of being anchored or anchoring. What about hindsight bias? I know you've mentioned that before. And that's kind of related to anchoring. And that's that's where you just assume that, you know, the way things have been recently, they're going to always be. I, I use the example a lot of, you know, if you just look back over the last five years and go, shoot, I should have invested everything in technology stocks. And, and looking back, that's a good decision. You know, if you could go back in time and look back, but... Uh, it's a faulty assumption to assume because that happened in the last five years, that's going to be where the growth is going to be in the next five years. And so using that hindsight bias can cause you to make unwise investment decisions based off past performance. You said it earlier. 
Past performance doesn't guarantee uh, future, future results. results. The, the, the past returns aren't for sale today. <laughs> we're, we're looking at the future now, and, and that's uncertain. But uh, really, you know, using that hindsight bias to make an investment decision, we see this all the time in people with the 401ks we manage, where you look at the top performing fund last year, and then you see dollars just flow to oh, it. You go, hey, yeah. guys, y'all missed that one. The, the next one, you, you don't know where that's yeah. going to be. So I like what you always say to everybody, Scott. Have a good goal, a yep. good purpose. Know what you're trying to do. And then some level of diversification. Yes. And then, of course, you know, it's always good to get good quality uh, professional advice when you're trying to work through this. Avoid your emotions. Don't let them get you caught up into that. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of the biggest issues that we see as professionals working with couples who are trying to manage their 401k, trying to buy a new home. Maybe it's college education. Maybe it's just making a financial decision, any decision. Rob Clement's going to help us walk through some communication skills that you, and I know my wife's listening now, and she would say, and me, need to know. Help me with it. We'll be back in a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest is Rob Clement. And Rob and I are going to actually get involved in the communication skill set that every woman needs to know that, my, according to my wife and his wife, which I know dear and love her dearly, uh, says to us that we probably, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you even score, Rob? Because I don't. Linda says I don't even, she doesn't even see a score in there when it comes to communication. Is a zero a score? A zero, I guess, a zero would show you that we're not doing very well. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the problem with a lot of couples that it just, do we communicate? Well, when it comes to investing, when it comes to money and spending money, communicating is extremely important. So, Rob, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here this morning. Talk about the communication skills that you talk with a lot of clients about. Yeah, when we're talking money, uh, people go, why are you so interested in listening to me talk about other things other than money? And that's because listening is a big part of what we do as financial professionals and advisors to our clients. So listening is important. And Gary Chapman wrote a book uh, a number of years back called The Five Love Languages, and we can really apply that to our marriage. So you mentioned five. So right. let's talk about this idea behind, he says, five love languages. You're talking about language or a way of communication skills. And I'm going to perk up the two other men in here because uh, I know their wives too. Um, and uh, now that I think about it, I don't think they'd score much more than one or two either. So what do you think? I mean, mm, yeah. I don't know. Some I, of so them I think are I think, are, are I think my good. wife says men just, it's not in our DNA, you know, that that's so we're all listening to you, Rob. Help us out. What's number one? Well, here's an example of what my wife did earlier in our marriage under words of affirmation. I would open up a briefcase when I got to my office, and in it would fall out a little thing that said love is. And it was a little character of an individual, and every time I would open up, uh, not, not necessarily every day, but many days during the week, she would send that. Now, what was she doing? She was reaffirming early in our marriage the importance that we have as a couple and that she is saying, I listen to you. I love you. So love language number one is words of affirmation. And that's just meaning that we're appreciated and we're being encouraged by our mate. And 
Guys, we need to listen to that. So, so what you're saying is one way to communicate with your spouse or your significant other, just communication with someone, if they receive that, that affirmation, they want that affirmation, pay attention. Absolutely. So that was important to you. Judy saw that was important to you, so she affirmed you on a regular basis. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. And now today we can use texting. Texting works really Absolutely. well on that. So That's good. Put it into today's vernacular. Let's use our phones to help prove our words of affirmation. affirmation. Secondly, I would say quality time. Quality time means not with the television on, not in front of a screen, and not doing something where you're not looking at each other eye to eye. Because communication not only comes through verbal communication, but comes through our eye contact so that that other person, that one that we care for so dearly, knows we're engaged in that. So we're listening not only with our ears, but also with our eyesight to that individual. So put things down, get together, Make sure you're creative. Maybe you do a movie marathon or something where you're both enjoying it and you pop popcorn or something together. So enjoy your time together as quality time. I'm going to have to confess this. My, Lynn and I, it was raining one Saturday morning, guys. Now, you ready for this? <laughs> this is a big setup. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm serious, guys. Sounds like an excuse to me. No, it was raining. I had planned some things to do, and I decided not to do them. We didn't pop popcorn, Rob, but we ended up watching. You ready for this? The Andy Griffin Show for two and a half hours. Wow. Oh, I love the Andy Griffin <laughs> Show. I, I thought a, you were going to say Hallmark. Show. Well, I, hey, I've already done the Hallmark stuff. The Hallmark, hey, I know every Hallmark movie now that's on the deal. But I, I could not believe I actually <laughs> it, it was a fun time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was a good show. And, of course, uh, you remembered the characters as they were coming back on. And I literally thought, you just spent two and a half hours on a busy Saturday morning. But, man, I picked up more points. That day, I think I was up in that eight and nine range. Well, you talk about investing a lot, Jim. You just invested wisely right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Our our third one, Jim, is acts of service. All right. Makes sense. And that is one where we have to work on that as guys a lot of times being servitable to our mates or our significant others. A lot of, lot of work goes in on that. Well, I, I can tell you right now, that is definitely one of my this wife's This is a confession. <laughs> <laughs> this is her true the, confession. The act of service. We've turned the light on Sky. We're uh, <laughs> inquiring about him. I know for, for me. Actions speak louder than words. So what would you do, Scott? Well, I mean, it, what When? <laughs> it's it's uh it's there's a list every weekend. So, ah, uh, so that's what she needs. Yeah, she wants she that. She wants yeah. you, and that's just, y'all work that out as being something. So acts of service, does. guys. We were talking before the show program about the repairment and being a repairman, and we don't have time to talk about that now. But those were days when you were tearing up stuff, trying to fix stuff. But you're talking about <laughs> things that you can you can do that she appreciates in that act of service. Absolutely, that's absolutely. big. Well, that's we're through big. the first uh, three. Uh, Rob, and I'm scoring myself. <laughs> I'm not scoring myself really well. So I'm Jill's hoping. called twice. I'm hoping phone. four and five. I'm going to make up some points. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk we'll about see. gifts. You're okay. good about maybe, gifts, maybe Shannon. So. I know. I know your style. You you're a good gift giver. So, so how have you four worked? Four is it? gifts. Right? Gifts. Just the simple word. Gifts. Flowers so, or uh, uh, flowers are an, are kind of the easy one. But you got to be creative. What is another thing that your spouse or significant other loves, and you've listened wisely and said, I'm going to do this for my significant other. So think about that. Express that gratitude 
for what it means to have that person in your life. I like that, that thoughtful gift, that gesture that's just not, as you said, flowers are easy. My wife, I actually do that pretty regularly, and she likes that. She arranges it. But you're right, that thoughtful gift or, or gesture that's just a little above and beyond. Your wife's a master gardener. Are you going out and cutting her flowers? No, and I'm she's not going cutting her flowers. No way, Jose. <laughs> hey, I don't cut anything in the yard unless she's at my right-hand shoulder pointing to it. He would not get words of affirmation if he were to, he were to cut. I've those seen those looks flowers. before. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, we've covered we've covered three, three of them, and let's go back. And we covered four, actually. Words of affirmation. That's just simply, and you said from a note to a poem. To a text. A text. That's right. Great text. And then quality time. And again, I admit that I watched four, two and a half hours of Andy Griffin. That was fun. And then acts of service. Scott, you're talking about just the list and getting the list and being prepared to do that. Gifts. I like that. You know, what do you want to say, Shannon? You said you had the last two were your so top. So gifts, I, I, I think I do pretty good there. I, I try to find different times or not just on occasions to, to bring something home. So I think I could score, at least get over a three or a four on, <laughs> on that one. So that's pretty good. Because the other ones, I was I was not below. I was below, below three, yeah. yeah. Are you saying the donut shop's on their we, way home? We, we need Rob <laughs> to come in, I think, weekly. Weekly. And, uh, <laughs> and remind us of yes. all these things. That'd but be you know, good. it's about communication. Absolutely. And the communication. And you try to, do, you if you haven't, spent the time communicating previously and you start into a tough communication like what you're doing financially, you can hit a roadblock and it doesn't mean that it's intended to be a roadblock. You just, we've had guys that come in and ladies, we've seen this, you know, where we've seen the guys come in like, you know, bulldozers and we're having to back up and say, time out, this is a joint effort. And that's the problem you see that creates all kind of issues when you're trying to make a decision. Well, you know, take, taking time to understand what your spouse's love language is instead of just assuming, I think, is, is the that's thing a big here, one. too. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a great Last one, Rob. you got 30 seconds. Personal touch. Personal touch quickly. Uh, when I come in at night and I have to come through the kitchen door, my wife's usually there preparing dinner. And the first thing I'll do is walk up and tap her on the shoulder and say, could I have a hug from you tonight? Just a simple little thing of a hug and a personal touch, and then she'll reach over and grab my hand, and then she will initiate some words of affirming that says, hey, thank you for that personal touch. Just thank you, just simply that, that it seems so insignificant, but it can be for that person who receives it and who desires it, it's really being above and beyond just simply, and not something of a, a sexual thing, it's just a touch. Right. So, so, so important. Well, uh, man, we have covered a lot of material today. You've, you know, thanks for listening. It's been great. Guys, you've all done a wonderful job. And thank, you know, for being that part, too. This is, of course, KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. This is Jim Shoemaker. Of course, you're listening to Talk Money. I want to thank my guests, Shannon Dyson, again, Scott Jordan, and Rob Clement. You can talk to these guys simply by giving them a call at 901 757 5757. Dev got questions for them. Call them. No doubt about that. Next week, I've got Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau. We're going to talk about FEMA and COVID 19, the pandemic and issues everybody seems to be having. David Rochester is going to be here. Questions and get to some of the issues that we deal with when it comes time to retire. And you don't want to miss that part. Also, Jim Whitehead will be with me. We'll be talking about selecting a financial advisor. Some questions you need to know to ask. That's Wednesday is at 9 a.m. And again, it's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. Now, listen, folks, I want you to be here with us every week. Thank you so much. 
for being here this week. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.